You're listening to the Fanfic Maverick Podcast, the show where I talk to fanfiction writers about their work and the marvelous world of fanfiction. This show may contain adult themes and language. Listener discretion is advised. The following paragraphs are from Chapter 3 of a fanfiction titled Stay by today's guest fanfiction writer Artemis J. Potter. Silence hit the room. I don't hate you, Matt, Foggy said quietly. He ran an exhausted hand through his hair. But I don't know who you are anymore. The word stabbed Matt in the chest. This was worse than the fight with Nobu. This was worse than the collapsed lung at Claire's or any other injury he sustained. He never thought he'd hear those words from Foggy. Never wanted to hear those words. But they were real. And Foggy's heart was still elevated, but ran true. He really believed that Matt had been a complete stranger to him, even after all these years. Matt needed to fix this. He had to fix this right now. He opened his mouth, but no words came out. What could he even say at this point? That he was sorry? That he never meant to lie? To keep something this important to himself in the first place? But that would be a lie. There was a reason Matt had never told Foggy about his abilities, about what he did at night. He didn't need sight to know that Foggy was looking at Matt like a complete stranger, like someone Foggy didn't know. Someone who was dangerous, someone who was violent, and a liar, and... Foggy was saying something again. No. He was yelling. Again. Demanding questions that Matt himself couldn't answer. After all the lies he told... How could he expect Foggy to believe anything, he said. Matt knew those moments were true. Some of the most treasured memories that he kept close to his chest. The first time they met his roommates. The endless one-nighters pulled. The bar hopping. The horrible frat parties. The terrible attempts at being each other's wingman. The internship. Even the day or two ago, before all of it had shattered. Why was he even surprised at this point? Matt knew he ruined everything he touched. He brought disaster to every part of his life, even when he kept his less-than-savory thoughts. The violence, the devil locked out, only let loose in the shadows. It was selfish to think that he could have the firm and Froggy's friendship and the devil of Hell's Kitchen all at once, intertwined only to his knowledge and no one else's. This was a wake-up call. Foggy's voice was still in the background, but it was muted. Matt heard the sirens on the streets and the sounds of tires hitting pavement. He felt the hardness of the couch cushion. He felt each of the stitches, one by one, the only things holding the torn skin together, counting the seconds until Foggy finally spent himself, let loose his last rant, and finally left. Maybe it was too much to ask his friend. No, not his friend. Not anymore. To spare him the pain that tenuous hope brought. The sliver of thought that he and Foggy would get through this. That he could actually have him in his life. Because he knew it wasn't coming. It was what he deserved.
to the north, south, east, and west four corners of the world. Greetings from the wild arid desert of the American Southwest. I'm your host, Chaos Blue, and this is the Fanfic Maverick Podcast. Our special guest fan fiction writer today is Artemis J. Potter. She's been a member of AO3 since 2016 and has 10 fan fictions posted there for Star Wars, Divergent, Supergirl, and Daredevil. Hell yeah! Artemis J. Potter is a bisexual writer and editor who hyperfixates on multiple fandoms, including but not limited to Star Wars, Harry Potter, and of course, Daredevil. She earned a BFA in creative writing and currently works as a freelance writer for multiple online publications. And in her free time, Artemis likes reading, crafting, listening to Taylor Swift, and talking about Matt Murdock. Yes! Artemis J. Potter, welcome to the Fanfic Maverick. How you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited that you're here, too. We're going to have so much fun today. So, of course, we always start from the very beginning of your fan fiction story, because everybody has their origin story, right, with fan fiction. I want to know about yours. How did you first discover fan fiction? And what did you initially think about fan fiction when you first discovered it? Oh, man. I know I'm not old, but I feel like I'm old when I'm like starting to think about back how I don't think AO3 was a thing when I started reading fan fiction. But I guess I kind of already knew that fan fiction was a thing growing up. So just kind of backing with like the first fandom I got into, I was really into Star Wars and I really got into the, the Star Wars prequels. Um, and I was like, Oh man, I wonder if, like, for me particularly, I was really attached to the Anakin Skywalker character and his story was so heartbreaking. And I was like, I wonder if there's a fan fiction out there where he doesn't turn to the dark side, you know, happy-ish Indians or so. And I, my brother had actually told me about this website called fanfiction.net, which is still up, but it's super outdated. It's a pain to use. It is. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I, can't, I think he told me about the website because he was, like, looking at some uh, Marvel superheroes. He was really into that at the time. And I had just gone on the website and I was like, Star Wars fan fiction, literally just put it in Google. And then I kind of like searched for like the Anakin character and like Obi-Wan and other characters in Star Wars. And then I I eventually found out that like Hurt and Comfort were a thing I was really into. So I pretty much just clicked on the, like the Hurt, Comfort and Angst genre and like looked at the fan fictions that were pulled up there um, and I just started reading them. I can't say that like, it's weird. I feel like I always knew what fan fiction was. I can't say it was like something I quote unquote discovered and didn't know existed. And I wonder if maybe that was because in my head I was kind of always writing fan fiction. Like anytime I saw a character on screen, I was always thinking, what if you like took them out of this scenario and put them into another scenario? And I guess maybe I just was aware. Um, I think I looked at the history of fan fiction. I think it started at like Star Trek in the 80s or something like that. So I don't know if maybe I'd already known it was around or something like that, or if it was just something I was like, oh, that makes sense that there's fan fiction for it. But it was kind of just like for me, the internet, it just kind of always existed. I remember the internet kind of being a thing because I I grew up in the 90s, right? I was like an early teenager in the 90s. And I remember when we got the internet for the first time and right off the bat, man, like, you know, first getting the internet, people were posting fan fiction online. So yeah, like once the internet became a thing, fan fiction has pretty much always been on the internet, even like pre-internet stuff with like um, those Usenet servers and stuff. You know, People have been using all of that stuff for fan fiction purposes for a really long time. So yeah, if you were probably in fandom spaces in the internet age, you probably always knew about fan fiction or at least saw it going on in certain spaces. So My age is definitely showing because I don't remember life without the internet. My parents have told me about how they used to have dial-up internet 
And my mom was like, she got an email address when she was in college. And I'm like, really? <laughs> Internet was always a thing for me. Like, I, I don't remember, like, people talking about, like, AO3 and all this. Well, not AO3. Was it, like, AOL or something? And, like, all this other old stuff, like, dial-up Internet and Internet being new. I'm like, what? I just, I felt like I came out of the womb using a computer. <laughs> so, like, I don't, I don't know what it's like not to have Internet. That's so weird to me. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's so funny to me, too, because, uh, yeah, it's so funny to talk to the generation right after mine, you know, because y'all have always had that stuff. And then, uh, you know, I remember life before it and then I remember life after it. But I was a teenager when it came out. So because it's been part of my life for so long, it's hard for me to remember what life was like before the Internet. I do remember it. But, you know, I was like 14, I think, when we got the Internet for the first time. So I've had it for a long, long time. But yeah, like I wouldn't have been able to, I think, discover fan fiction before then if it hadn't been for the Internet. Um, so yeah, I think that's probably how most of us, you know, discover fan fiction. And of course, FFN. We've all had our run-ins with FFN. So that's pretty <laughs> cool. <laughs> Like, I literally feel like a, so young. You're like, you were 14 in the 90s. I was like, I was born. I wasn't even born until like 97. Man, I was a baby <laughs> yeah. in the 2000s. Yeah. 2000s was my decade. I wasn't a teenager until like 2010. It's, it's really interesting, though, with the like generational differences. Because you mentioned that like you're used to being with the internet, but you knew before it was a thing. So do you mind if I ask you a question? Absolutely, please. Yeah, so if... You remember before internet was a thing, did you ever like create fan fiction? Did you ever know it was like a thing that people did before the internet? No, not at all. I liked writing. So I used to write in my early, you know, teens. I used to write original stuff just for myself because it was fun. But I had no stinking clue that fan fiction was a thing or that people did that until I got the internet and started palling around on these old school things called web rings. And that's when I discovered my first fan site that somebody had created for a show I liked and they had fan fiction stories posted on their website and it was like I don't know you know that meme the meme with the brain that just kind of explodes on the page and stuff <laughs> yeah. that's how it felt because I'd just never seen anything like that before and I loved so many things as a kid like I grew up on Star Trek Star Wars all kinds of different things it just never occurred to me that I could write stories using those characters. Like so many of y'all, that occurs to you. And I just think that's so, so cool. But it never occurred to me. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's so cool, though, about the history. Like when you mentioned their fan sites, I was like, there's fan fiction. But I guess at some point there wasn't a fan fiction website. So you had to post things on fan sites. It's just really cool seeing how fan fiction has evolved from over the years. It's really interesting. Yes. Well, and those were the wild, wild west days of the <laughs> Internet when people didn't really put warnings on anything. Not really. So you never knew what you was going to get when you clicked on the link. It was kind of like, I don't know if you've ever been to Disneyland and been on that Pirates of the Caribbean ride. But there's that one point in the ride where that skeleton is on the wall talking to you, you know, like, beware all ye who enter here. Dead men tell no tales. It's kind of like that with the <laughs> first iterations of the Internet and fan fiction. You had no idea what you were getting yourself into. Um, so, yeah, when FFN came along, that was kind of interesting because for the first time you could filter and kind of decide what you wanted to see based on rating, based on, you know, genre type and all of that. So yeah, that was that was definitely kind of cool to have that for the first time. 
Now, do you remember what prompted you to write your very first fic? Because at some point, you must have graduated from like reading fan fictions on FFN to writing your very first fic. Do you remember what that was like? Oh, man. Literally, I feel like I always, I mentioned this earlier before we started recording, but I, like, I pretty much was always creating stories when I was younger. I didn't write because I wasn't like, I didn't really know how to write or read when I was like super young, but I would like get my Barbie dolls and action figures and make them act out scenes. Um, and then when I got a bit older, I started typing like my ideas out on the computer. But with fan fiction, like I mentioned the one with Star Wars, I was always like, look, Anakin Hatton turned to the dark side. And I actually remember I wrote this, it was not great because I was like eight or so when I wrote it, but I had this like little book. I don't know if you know this, but like my parents used to, um, they would take like paper and like fold in half and staple it together. So we made like a little paper book. I don't know. If... Oh, nice. Yeah. So and then I would like, I would get my pencil and I could like write a little story in it. And I remember I wrote a little one where Anakin doesn't turn to the dark side. Nothing really changed. Like nothing really big changed. Like, well, I, like, I didn't really delve into the character psyche as much because I was, like, eight or ten years old. I didn't know how to do yeah, that. Yeah, I was going to say, you were eight. <laughs> yeah, I was, like, really young. I, I don't even know how old I was. But uh, I just wrote a little thing of, like, he has a turn dark side and he goes up with his family. The end. And he gets me a dad and stuff. And I'm like, oh. I, I remember writing a little book for that. So I, I think that may have been my first fan fiction, actually. Like, I always had the idea in my head, but I sat down. Because I, I had a lot of those little paper books when I was, like, really young. Um, before I was, like, on the computer and stuff, I would just, like, staple them together. And then i just, like, handwrite, which is a pain in the butt now because I have carpal tunnel. <laughs> but at the time, it wasn't a, it wasn't a problem. So I, I would just, like, handwrite, like, so-and-so happened, so-and-so talked. And that's kind of how I first started not just writing fix, but, like, writing stories, period, on paper. That is so, so cool. You know, it sounds like your parents were very encouraging of you and your passion for writing. They were. Well, my mom was an English major. So like, obviously, she she loves words and stories. And my parents, like, I don't think they're as into like the fandoms like I am, but they've always really been into storytelling. Um, because I like Star Wars is something I grew up on, but also grew up on Marvel. And it wasn't like my brother was into like Spider-Man and stuff. But I actually heard about it because like, I didn't know my mom was into it. Apparently, there was this like 1980s uh, Spider-Man like live action series. And my mom grew up in the 80s. She watched it and she was like really into it. I don't know if my dad read the comics, but like he, he liked to draw. So he used to like draw like the comic book characters. And he was really good at it too. So that was pretty cool. And I remember like my first introduction to like superheroes was kind of through them. Like Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy. I grew up on that. That was my childhood. My parents, we all went, the whole family went to see the first movie in theaters. I remember that. And also like we, we grew up on like, there's a 1990, I think, Maybe it was not 94, but it was a 1990 anime X-Men series we grew up on. My mom was a big fan of X-Men. And there was, like, a, this 1994 Spider-Man series I grew up on. And then, of course, I knew about characters like Captain America and Hulk. And actually, that may have been the first thing. I'm going back. The the Hulk show, I don't remember when it came out, the one with Lou Ferrigno. My mom, she said she used to watch that with her parents. And she, like, she really loved the series. So I, I don't know if maybe that was the first time she was in the superheroes. But she mentioned that she like really loved that TV series. And I met TV series was really popular, but she was really into it. So I feel like I have my mom to thank for like my interest into like not just like superheroes, but just kind of fandoms period, because we'll still talk about superhero stuff to this day. Like we're still pretty obsessed with it. Like there's some of the biggest superhero lovers that I know. Um and I keep thinking every family's like that, but I'm like, I guess not. My family's just we all, we've always been into superheroes, I guess. Like, it passed down from, like, me, like, from my mom to me, and then, like, you know, just kind of spread around to everyone else. 
Oh, I love that though. I love that you have that in common with your parents. You know, like something you can be passionate about. But I also love that it sounds like she kind of encouraged this interest in storytelling with you, not just with the stories and the booklets that she would give you to fill with your stories, but also just this, you know, this interest in different stories and different, you know, myths. And that's the thing that fascinates me the most about superhero stories is like they're so mythic and just so epic. And so to have that interest kind of instilled in you at a young age, like, that is so, so cool. I love that for you. Yeah, I think I, I almost feel like I take it for granted because I always think, oh, that's just normal. But my parents really were into, like, they never try to stop my creativity. They always encouraged me, like, to find my passions and find things I was passionate about. Um, and I really do appreciate that. I did also want to kind of go back to the myths because what's really interesting to me is for a while when I read the Percy Jackson series, which when I was, like, I don't know, high school or college, I really got into Greek mythology, and I started to realize that, like, a lot of superheroes take stuff from Greek mythology, like, the structure of storytelling, as well as, like, the character strengths and weaknesses. Like, we have, you know, you have, like, heroes and, like, Hercules, and it's, like, I feel like you can see the inspiration in superheroes that we have now. So I think it's really interesting, and I feel like they took a lot from Greek myths, even if they did it subconsciously, because those were, like, some of the first, quote-unquote, superheroes or superpower people we had in fiction back in the day. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I think it's so fascinating. You know, speaking of that, people used to take those old school gods, right? These god myths, and they used to make stories about them. Most of them are probably verbal, not necessarily written down. But, you know, people used to sit around the campfire making up these stories about these like mythic, legendary heroes. We're doing the same thing. Yeah, that's actually a great point. It's like people have been telling fan fiction since the beginning of time. Like, it's, it's always been a thing. Oh, yeah. No, it's just it's so funny to me that it's like, OK, people still do it. Humans still do it because like at the core of us, humans are storytellers. We want to tell stories, whether it's verbally around a campfire, whether it's writing something down and posting it on the Internet, you know, like we just have that drive in us to tell those stories. So it's always really interesting to just kind of see the parallels there. I love <laughs> Yeah, honestly, um, I know we mentioned earlier, but like storytelling is just like if someone asks who I am, I always say I'm a writer. But what I mean by that, I don't just mean like, oh, I write fiction or whatever. I guess I mean I'm a storyteller because I feel like so much of my life revolves around telling stories. Essentially, my life is a story. And when I hear about other people's lives, those are stories. And like sometimes, you know, you want to verbally talk about them. Like if you tell somebody kind of, experience you had when you were a child that's you telling a story you know so it's like our whole world revolves around storytelling I feel very comfortable writing things down so I like to process that written down but you know there's there are multiple ways to tell stories like you have movies out there where you can visually see and you can read it in a book they're just storytelling is just like pretty essential to life and people just have different mediums that they come out on yes oh I love that point so much there are different mediums of storytelling, and you're right that at the heart of what you are and what all fan fiction writers are, y'all are storytellers, and this just happens to be the medium that you are using to tell the stories, just like a painter, right? Painters use lots of different mediums to paint, and it's the same with writing. There are so many different types and genres, and this just happens to be one of them, and there's nothing inherently wrong with it if it does the job of storytelling, which is... It does. We were laughing before we were recording because I was telling you, I have such a hard time verbalizing these huge ideas in my brain about these concepts. But I don't know. I see like the storyteller role as almost some sort of like prophetic seer. They're the seers of society and they are there to tell the truth and they're there to see and they're there to express that and communicate that. That's like a great way of putting it. 
Because I honestly do, like, I feel like, not everyone thinks this, but sometimes it's like, I don't want to say I was put on earth for this, but I feel like there's something I'm meant to do sometimes in life. And I feel like storytelling definitely has always been one of those. And I, and I really do mean always, because ever since I was a kid, I remember that storytelling was something I was always doing. Um, and even now, it's like, I basically feel uncomfortable. Like, I'm going to explode if I don't get a story out. And it, I've told some people that, and they're like, they don't really get it. But I'm like, I feel like I have this story inside me that I just have to let out. It's my story or someone else's. And if I don't let it out, like, I don't, I don't really know how to put it. Yes, I have heard so many fan fiction writers say that to me, that it's this physical need, almost, like a physiological need to get it out, to purge it from the body. It's this very interesting phenomenon that I just absolutely love. I think it's wonderful <laughs> you know? uh, because it benefits us. It really does, though. It benefits us. Like storytelling is so important. It's important for the writer who needs to communicate the ideas. And it's important for us, too. The ones who read those stories and we incorporate those stories, I think, into our own personal mythos in some way or another. And sometimes I feel like I am this conglomeration of every story that I've ever heard. This is getting a little metaphysical, which I get from my mom, but kind of there's this theory about all of us being connected one way or another in the universe. And I definitely see that. And like, like storytelling is a medium to tell like stories about people or tell about people's lives. And I'm thinking when you say you feel like a conglomerate, I think you are. I think in a way, like obviously we're individuals, we're all connected. Like there's something core that connects us all together, I think. And storytelling really ties that together. I feel like I'm getting really spiritual. <laughs> no, I'm right there. I'm right there on that wavelength with you, though, because I have that same theory that we're all connected and there is something about storytelling that is universal. And I think it was Scott Fitzgerald who said something about how when we're reading stories, that's when we realize for the first time how human we actually are and how connected we are to other people who have the same thoughts that we do and have the same experiences that we do. And that's when we don't feel so alone anymore. That's, that's such a beautiful quote. I've never heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. So going back to fan fiction, though, thoughts about fan fiction. Like, I know you have like a thousand million thoughts about fan fiction because we've had so much fun talking about this before we started recording. Tell me about your thoughts on fan fiction because you discovered it so young and you started writing it for yourself so young. So I'm sure that you have thoughts on fan fiction that have evolved and changed since that time when you first discovered it and everything. How have those thoughts changed and what are those thoughts now? So you're going to get a little entry into my character development <laughs> because starting with fan fiction, I know when I was like really young, I loved it. And like, I'm at a place now where I still love it, but I loved it then because I'm like, these people are sharing ideas with me or like, I like the idea of alternate universes being like, you take characters and you put them on different playgrounds and see how they interact. Like people wanted to do stuff like that. And I'm like, that's so interesting. And I love it. And these people are so creative and they have great ideas. And I have these ideas and I want to put them out there. But when I started becoming, I would say around uh, high school, when I first like read the Harry Potter series, and like obviously I don't condone anything J.K. Rowling does. Those books have a special place in my heart. But at the time, I was like, okay, I want to be a writer. And I had this idea in my head that like, you know, in order to be a writer to like publish books and stuff, because that's initially a path I wanted to go on, I couldn't write fan fiction because it's like copyrighted. You can't just like publish a Marvel story. You're going to get sued by Disney. So like that's not a good idea. But also somehow I think. My mind took that idea meaning that I shouldn't write fan fiction at all because it's a quote-unquote waste of time, which I don't think now, but I think at the time I was thinking I shouldn't put effort into this because it's not profitable. 
which is really interesting because I think that led to a lot of issues, me thinking about profitable, like, it's a passion, you know, writing fan fiction is a passion, but at the time, like, when I was thinking about writing, period, I was like, you have to turn this into a career, you have to make a name for yourself, you have to be quote-unquote professional about it, so I kind of put fan fiction to the side. And then when I was in college, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, I loved my university where I studied creative writing for my undergrad, I loved my professors there, I don't have any regrets, but there was a very archaic idea about what real, quote-unquote, fiction was. And real fiction was not what they would call genre fiction, which would be like young adult novels like Harry Potter and the Hunger Games that were published, or like romance and fantasy novels. It was literary fiction, like Jane Austen work, or like William Shakespeare, or stuff like that. So in my head, also, I just got this idea that fan fiction and like fiction that's not quote-unquote literary was like stigmatized, and it's, it's bad. Like, this is not real art, it's like, it's bad work, it's shitty, or whatever. So that also just really turned me off from fan fiction because I was like, I shouldn't be invested in this. Like, I still loved it and I still read it. But in my mind, I was like, this is not like, quote unquote, real art, which is bullshit. By the time I thought this isn't real art, so I shouldn't be invested in it. But when I graduated during a year of the pandemic, which is not fun. <laughs> but one thing that was interesting is I think from that time of isolation, I learned a lot about how in life, it's not important to worry so much about what other people are thinking or what's quote-unquote real or not. It's, it's really important to take the time to do the things that you enjoy and spending time with people who are important to you. And and that's like really tangential, but basically what I'm trying to get back to is that fan fiction is something I enjoyed and I thought I shouldn't enjoy it because I thought it was quote-unquote wrong. And I'm like, well, if it's not hurting anyone, what's wrong with me liking fan fiction? And I actually ended up getting into Daredevil the year that the No Way Home movie came out. And that actually sparked my fan fiction because I, I was like, I was out of college, I was working then. And I think I had some time to think about how, like, like I said, doing things that I want to do in life were important. And I started thinking, well, if I like fan fiction, why the hell should I not read it? Why should I not write it? And then when I got to Daredevil, I ended up joining Discords and got on social media and made some really good friends on there that I'm still friends with today. And they were just as passionate about it as I was. And they were writing fan fiction about it. And I was like, these people, you know, they get me. And they really did encourage me to keep writing because I'm like, I wouldn't say what they're doing is dumb. They, they enjoy it and they're really passionate about it and they get me. And that gave me a lot of confidence, I think. Well, I don't think, I know. I know that gave me a lot of confidence to get back into fan fiction and also changing my idea to thinking that, yes, fan fiction is real art. There's no such thing as like real or fake art. Like there's plenty of original fan fiction out there that I don't think is good, but you know, it exists. Fan fiction, there's some amazing fan fiction out there. There's some I don't like as much. But, you know, it's just, it's writing. Like, it's not inherently bad just because it's been thought of as this idea of bad. That was a really long way of answering your question. Sorry. No, I love that answer. I love that answer so much because it reminds me of something that T.S. Eliot said. I'm going to butcher this because I haven't actually seen the quote in a really long time. But T.S. Eliot said something about the journey of human life and human existence, our journey is leaving and then coming back to the starting point and recognizing it for the very first time. And I feel like that's almost what you did. Like you had this starting point with fan fiction. You went on this intellectual journey through academia and there's nothing wrong with that. In academic spaces, we're supposed to be exposed to all kinds of different ideas and we're supposed to be exposed to literary fiction. You know, I certainly was, you know, I read a lot of stuff. And so there's the ivory tower there telling you that oh, only this like literary fiction is worth, you know, talking about and blah, 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 blah. 
But then you go past there through this journey where you're deciding, yes, those things are important. And you can also have this other genre that's equally meaningful to you in your personal life and to these other people in your fandom writing communities. And I think that that's so, so special because the experience that you're having with fan fiction as a genre, I'm sure, is very different than the experience that you're having or that you had in the ivory tower with the literary fiction. Like you have with fan fiction, the community, you have the excitement and you have the passion and you feel like you're creating something meaningful and that means something that matters you know and so I love that so many people you included you know you come to this place you just decide hey I'm going to be true to myself because a lot of that other stuff that people are saying about it doesn't matter but this matters the writing and the passion and the sharing and the feeling something from what you're doing that matters I do think that writing like people think writing is a solo activity and it is in a lot of ways but in a lot of ways it's it's a lot about community and I think connecting with that community I can say I think I know connecting with that community really helped my confidence because like we're going back to storytelling about how it connects everyone together that was something I was missing when I wasn't writing fan fiction like like I did have some connections with like some fellow writers but since I wasn't being true to myself I felt like I was stifling this interest and passion in fan fiction that I was like really interested in it's weird, but I felt this like disconnect within myself. And I feel like I'm getting it back now that I'm like, okay, this is something that I enjoy. I don't need to let other people's opinions like matter because they don't matter. And I should just do what I enjoy. Yes, 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 yes. Coming back to yourself and being like, you know what? I matter. And the things that I like matter. This matters. I love that. I love that so much. I can't even tell you. Like, that's so, so, <laughs> so cool. Now, okay, so I have to ask you this. You mentioned earlier the words angst and hurt comfort, which just happen to be some of my favorite genres of all time. And so, like, I have to know, okay, because we were, we were talking about this before. I'm always trying to, like, analyze the whole angst, hurt, comfort trope because I know that I like it. And I'm constantly trying to, like, analyze it, I guess. And maybe that's why I have such a hard time with it. Maybe it can't be analyzed intellectually. I don't know. So I was just wondering, do you have any idea why you like that so much? Because I'm still trying to figure out why I like it so much. What are your thoughts on that, Artemis? Like, I have to know. <laughs> yes, yeah, interesting you brought it up because I actually, like I mentioned, I was on some discords. And I was talking to people about this because I was like, why do I like this so much? I feel like a mean person for saying I love this character and I want to put them through hell. But then uh, we kind of were talking about it like with my friends and I just kind of realized that like it's very cathartic seeing this character go through this really hard time. And for me, it's not just seeing that, but also seeing them come out of it and get support from people. We've all been in a place where we're really struggling everyone to varying degrees we've all been in a place that we've really struggled with something and like we just wanted somebody to see us and, and say like I see you and I understand and I'm sorry you're in pain and I feel like angst and hurt and comfort really gives us that like people characters aren't ashamed or like they aren't shamed the, by other people like when they're experiencing angst like people who actually care about them they're not like shaming them be like oh you're weak quit being so vulnerable because you're having a hard time like they're like oh, I'm so sorry you're having a hard time. Let me give you a hug. Let me talk to you. Is there any way we can work this out? And I think that's just so important. And I think a lot of people don't have that in their life. I know for a while I didn't, unfortunately. So I got a lot of that support through the characters in fan fiction, seeing that like the author basically portray, hey, you can have a hard time. It doesn't make you a bad person and you deserve to have this support. 
So I think that's one of the reasons that Hurt and Comfort is like such a popular genre and people like it. For me, it's very, it's very projectable. <laughs> and I think too, on the intellectual level, it involves a lot of character development. Because some of my favorite characters are very stoic characters, but they like have a lot of emotional angst. And it's like seeing them try to fight that, but then it's like their walls just fall down. It's like you get to see who they really are as a person. And I think that's super interesting. And like angst and hurt and comfort is one of the best ways you can play with seeing that. Yo, I love that answer. You can peel it back like onions. You say that, it makes me think of Shrek. I know, probably maybe not the best, uh, not the best imagery there. But I mean, like, I love that concept, what you just said about putting them through the drama does allow you to kind of drill down, right? Especially on those stoic characters. Because we don't always get to see that in canon, I feel like. But you get to see that and explore that to your heart's content in fan fiction. And thank God. Fan fiction definitely has helped me get through some of my hardest times. I, I remember when I like, I personally experienced like depression and anxiety. I was going to say, maybe it wasn't great that I was reading a lot of angst back then. But also it helped because like, I felt like these characters understood me. And, like, I didn't have to go out, like, obviously opening up to people is important, but it's like, I didn't have to, because this, this writer basically saw me and other people who were in this position, and they wrote a story that I could connect with, and that, it, it just helped a lot. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like, I don't know, maybe... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to say about this, but I feel like fan fiction is the only place where I see those subjects explored to such a depth. I read a lot of other things that aren't fan fiction too, you know, and I don't really see those topics explored as much maybe in other forms of writing, but in fan fiction, yes. Where else do you go for something like that? Because, ugh, it is so cathartic. I'm a pretty empathetic person, and I have a really interesting study that people who read, um, in addition to other benefits, like they develop empathy. And I feel like that also has a lot to do with it. Because I don't know if you've ever been like this, but I find it really easy to put myself in the shoes of characters who are going through a hard time. So then it's like, I'm feeling this hard time and I can sympathize with them. And then when someone helps, like if a character helps, it feels like they're helping me. So there's a lot of projection. <laughs> yes, there is a lot of projection. But you know what? That's just kind of the nature of storytelling. As we incorporate these stories into our own ethos, we are going to project some of what we're seeing and hearing and feeling into our own way of being. And I think we're meant to. We're meant to do that. So it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. And I love it. I love it so, so much. So I got to ask you this too. I haven't been asking this very often. This is kind of a new one, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on um, fan fiction misconceptions. There's a lot of, you know, people outside of fan fiction spaces that have a lot of thoughts and opinions about fan fiction. So there's lots of misconceptions floating around out there about the topic. What are some things you wish more people understood about fan fiction? I think one of the biggest things, and I mentioned this earlier, is that fan fiction is not good writing. I feel like I've heard that impression so many times, and I don't know, I feel like I've seen the media where people are, like, mocking characters who, like, write fan fiction, or, like, oh, writing fan fiction is so immature, blah, blah, blah. So, like, I feel like that's a big misconception, is that I guess people think when you take someone else's work and you write it, it's bad. But that's weird to me because, like, people take stuff from people all the time. Like, stories are always inspired by other stories. I don't know why fan fiction would be inherently worse just because it's inspired by something. But that's a misconception I've seen a lot, and it really pisses me off. That's, like, probably my biggest pet peeve about people get wrong about fan fiction. Another one that kind of ties into this, and it's actually kind of got, like, a social aspect, or social comedy aspect, I don't know how to put it. But... A lot of fan fiction, like, the idea of fan fiction is, like, a teenage girl who's, like, 
she's into boy bands. Maybe she's like obsessed with Twilight. At least you're two thousands. And she's just writing about all these like gay guys who are falling in love. And people are like, oh, that's so bad. And like, I know there's fan fiction like that, but like people usually associate fan fiction with teenage girls writing crappy stuff. And I'm like, why do we think teenage girls can't write? Like that just pisses me off so much. Like that pisses me the fuck off that people are like, teenage girls are bad writers and like they're stupid fangirls and blah, blah, blah. And I feel like a lot of that's tied to the negative stigma that fan fiction gets. And I'm like, that says a lot of our society about how, like, I already knew we don't like teenage girls, but it's like, dang, you really don't like teenage girls. Like, I don't, what did they ever do to you? What did a teenage girl ever do to you? Why are you hating right. them so much? Right. Where we have to stigmatize whatever a teenage girl likes. Automatically, it's just stupid. Yeah. I saw this a lot during, because that's one thing, I did grow up during the Twilight phase. I saw this a lot, and it drove me, it still drives me crazy, the way people would talk about teenage girls who like Twilight. They were like, these girls aren't very smart and like they just want to fall in love with stupid sparkly vampire boyfriend blah 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 and i'm like why are we insulting teenage girls because they like something like even if they like you don't like what they're liking i don't know why we take that as value judgment on who these people are especially people who are younger than you because some people criticizing this for like adults or parents and like can you get a life please yes the whole idea of penalizing people for finding joy in something Really? That's what we're doing now? Yeah, it's like, is your life that sad that you have to make other people miserable? I, like, I don't understand <laughs> what this is about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you so much. The stigma of fan fiction historically being associated as like a female pursuit, I think, has definitely fueled a lot of the misconceptions out there because, you know, whatever women like, uh, it's automatically bad. <laughs> you know? yeah. like, See, really? literally, that also could be a whole episode, the way we treat women. And what they like, because, oh, my God, I have I have a lot of stuff to say. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, you are absolutely right. That could be a whole entire episode because it is just like <laughs> speaking of onions, you could peel back the layers and find a lot of crap underneath all of that thought process. So, yeah, it's super interesting. But those are awesome misconceptions. Those are definitely the ones that I've seen before. And they do drive me crazy, too, especially because, like, while there is basis and truth to all misconceptions, right, those things do exist. They're not the whole picture and they're not actual reality because when you start looking at the whole big picture you realize that uh yeah fan fiction is a lot more than just those things um so it is unfortunate that we <laughs> we get stereotyped so badly but. yeah and i'm like other there are millions of people who write fan fiction okay so you're gonna find different types of fan fiction like i read a lot of hurt and comfort and angst i don't read a lot of romance that like i'm saying people stereotype fan fiction as or like a lot of reader slash main character so like Fan fiction is not a monolith, and I wish people would stop acting like this. It's like any other medium. It's not a monolith. Oh, and I'm so glad that you said that, too, because, yeah, it's so funny. I've been reading fan fiction for 25 years. I am still, to this day, I get so fascinated and so blown away by the ways that fan fiction is so many different things, right? We're not a monolith, and it is constantly, like, evolving and changing, and new trends come in and out, and it's just so interesting to me, the different ways that people enjoy fan fiction, the different reasons why people enjoy fan fiction. It's not the same for everybody, and that's okay. It's just this really amazing thing. 
let's talk about Daredevil because that's what we are uh, talking about today with your fan fiction. Now, I did state when I was talking to Ceteris Paribus earlier, I don't know much about Daredevil. I mean, I have like a peripheral understanding. So school me a little bit. Tell me about your relationship with this fandom. Oh, wow. Okay. So I think it was the 2021... Like, I, you know, I mentioned earlier that my family was always into Marvel. So I was familiar with these characters. I'm familiar with the Daredevil character. I, there was this 1990 Spider-Man series I watched. He appeared at one time. He was like Peter Parker's lawyer. So like, I know kind of about the character before. And I was always, I got into the MCU when the first Iron Man movie came out. I saw it in theaters. So like, I've always been to MCU. So I, I heard about like when Daredevil and Jessica Jones and Luke Cage and stuff like that came out. So I initially didn't watch it because I had this idea that I knew the shows already like MA and I was old enough to watch them, but I had this idea that like, oh, these shows are just going to be super gritty and it's going to be bad quality. So I was stereotyping them before I even saw them, which I majorly regret today. But that was my idea. And I'm trying to remember why I ended up watching Daredevil. I think I heard that he he was going to cameo in No Way Home. And I I love Spider-Man. And I was like, you know what? People talk about this character so much. Let me watch the show. And I watched the first episode. Then I became obsessed. <laughs> and like, it got, I literally was telling everybody in my life that I needed to watch the show. I got my dad into it. Uh, I got my mom watching it. Like, I just, I was like, I'm so obsessed. And it was like all I could think about. And you know what you do when you get into a fandom? You read fan fiction for it. So I started reading a shit ton of fan fiction for it. I ended up being like, I need to talk to people about this show because I feel like I'm going to explode if I don't. Because I didn't really know one person who was obsessed with the show like I was. So then I ended up, uh, I was on Tumblr and I saw a disc- I saw some discords for like Daredevil fan and I joined. And this is actually really funny. Uh, I hope this doesn't make Ceteris feel weird. But I read her fan fiction before we, we met like on Discord. And I saw she was in the Discord. And I'm like, oh my gosh, she's like one of my favorite authors. Let me talk to her. So I joined the Discord because she was in it. And it's so funny because like that's weird because now we like talk every day. And I'm like, I'm not so fangirly. Even though her stuff is amazing. I still think it's amazing. But I'm not as like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to talk to this person. But yeah, so I, I got into Discord. And like I said, before then, I had, st- had like stopped writing a lot of fan fiction when I was in college. But by the time I got into Discord, I met all these people who wrote fan fiction, like Ceteris Paribus and a few other people. And I just had all these ideas because I'm like, yes, I'm going to talk about this show and I have an idea for X, Y, and Z. And then people were like, you should write it. And for a while, I was like really nervous because I was like, I don't want to mess up these characters. I love them so much. But then... The whole thing where it felt like I was going to explode if I didn't do that happened. So I ended up writing fan fiction for it. So, yeah, I really do feel like I could... I know I keep saying this, but there could be a whole episode about Daredevil because I have a lot of feelings about it. And I feel like if you say you like angst and stuff, that you would, like, love Matt Murdock. And I feel like you should watch the show. Oh, man. Yeah, I know. It's on my list of things to eventually do because, I, you know, I've just had so many people tell me about it. I was fascinated by it when I did that first episode with Ceteris Paribus, and now we're doing Daredevil again. And, you know, I really appreciate the things that I'm reading in these fan fictions. I'm just like, holy cow, these characters and what they're going through and all of that. Right up my alley, man. So, okay, so a couple things. It sounds to me like you got into this pretty recently. This hasn't been, like... 10 years worth of obsession for you. This sounds pretty recent with Daredevil. Yeah, I'm definitely a newbie because I know she came out in 2015 and I didn't see it. And like I said, I had this misconception about like, oh, people are trying to be gritty now and like, content's going to be bad, which I hate. I regret myself so much for that. But like, I can't remember why. Like I said, I, th- I heard he was going to be in No Way Home and I think my mind was like, you know what? I haven't watched a show, a really good show in a while. Let's go see what Daredevil's about. 
Diane really knew, but I'm really glad the fandom's still alive because like I'm new and I knew the show was over at the time before they announced the reboot. So I was like, dang, I'm not gonna find anybody who's still obsessed with it, but I was wrong. Yeah, so many people, which I appreciate. It's funny because um Tumblr keeps showing me Daredevil stuff. I don't know why. I think the universe is trying to tell me something. I think it is. Yeah, I keep seeing stuff on there. So I'm like, you know what? It's on my list of things to do. It is. But it kind of sounds to me like the show grabbed you from the very first episode. Would that be fair? Yes, because like, like I mentioned before, I love Star Wars and that was my thing. But this is my thing now. Like, I have not seen a show that I love as much as Daredevil. And I literally could talk so much about how much I love it. But I was not expecting to love it as much as I did. And like... I always love superheroes, but like this show is just very special to me in a way, like no offense to other superhero shows, but just special in a way that I've never seen other superhero shows. And you mentioned kind of how like a lot of fanfiction explores things that media doesn't, like the angst and the hurt and comfort. This show definitely does that. Like it touches on some really interesting topics. It touches on religion, it touches on morality, even like kind of touches on mental illness a little bit, which is like super interesting to me. So like, I feel like the show is like, yes, it's a superhero show, but it also feels very grounded in reality. So I think that's probably why it grabbed me so much and why it hasn't let go and it lives in my head rent-free now. I love that. Okay, now that brings up another question in my brain. Besides those things, if you had to pinpoint anything else that really stood out to you when you first got into Daredevil, like as you're watching the show and stuff, is there anything that you could point to and say like, ah, that, that I love, that is really what's grabbing me in and keeping me here? Did I say a person? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you say I'm mad, but okay. Here's the thing. I have never related to a superhero as much as I have related to Matt Murdock. I know a lot of superheroes save the day. And the thing is that him and, and Peter Parker, which is why I like Peter too, uh, even though I definitely am Matt, is they don't wait for something big to happen like the Avengers do when like Loki's attacking or Ultron's attacking to like save the day. Like Matt saves people who are being attacked every day. And like he does it every night. And you know, like it's a it's a thankless job. He almost dies all the time. But like he does it because it's the right thing to do. And I'm like, that's so like fucking admirable. I'm like, I love it so much. I literally love everything about it. That's like to me, that's what's so inspiring about superheroes. The fact that they do the right thing in spite of like adversary. And the fact that he does it and he doesn't he doesn't like have super strength like other characters. He doesn't even have backup, but he does it because he's like if other people are suffering and I can help them, then I should help them. Kind of like Peter's great power comes great responsibility that I hear from Uncle Ben. So that really grabbed me. I'm just like, I love it. I love street level superheroes and just like Matt cares so much. And I'm like, this is me. It really is me. This, it's really bad, but I don't know how many times I lead to that character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. I love that concept of like the community based superhero. Because like you said, right, he kind of like he's helping his own community. He's out there every day just looking for stuff to do and people to help. He's kind of like the ragamuffin superhero a little bit. But um, but it's needed, right? It's necessary. And the thing is, too, like, at least in the show, he's always a superhero because the whole reason he got his powers is because he saved somebody from like getting hit by a truck. And he was like freaking nine years old when he did that. And he ended up getting blind from it. So I'm like, OK, you always been a superhero. And, and then, too, like when he runs his law practice, a lot of it's pro bono and they don't make money because he's just like, we need to help people. That's why I'm like, can you marry me? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've always wondered. This is so off topic, but I've always wondered. I did watch enough episodes, I think, to see the apartment or the loft or whatever that Matt's living in. Uh-huh. And I always wondered to myself, Matt, where you get the money for that, brother? <laughs> okay. The show is really bad at poverty. So in the first episode, they do, he does say, I don't know if you notice, he's like this giant billboard 
near his apartment and he said it brought down like the rent properties that's allegedly how he can afford it but i agree with you they don't know how poor people work because he and his friends go out to drink all the freaking time they're always <laughs> yes. ordering, he's always ordering takeout he lives in <laughs> fucking new york city i'm like how do you afford anything dude I, I don't know how he afford to live. I, really I know. Because, like, you know, I feel like the rest of us would theoretically be open to the idea of being, like, pro bono hero for the people. And we just want to spend our entire lives, like, helping other people. At the end of the day, we got to eat. I know. I don't know. How, I really don't know how Matt Piss feels. <laughs> Dude, I, it's so funny because, like, in season two... Well, she was secretary later on she does like reporter Karen Page she works with them and she's like we don't have any money and Matt's like we'll figure it out I'm like how Matt how are you gonna figure it out I know <laughs> I know I know and I know it's like a dumb thing to fixate no, on but it drives me crazy too I- I've talked to people so many times in the fandom like how does Matt afford anything y'all I don't understand yes I don't understand yes. he's, not, he's not living he's not living his life to save money like I said he goes out to eat and he drinks a lot and maybe it's cheap stuff that's still more expensive than buying stuff at home. So I don't understand. Right, exactly. It just makes me laugh when I see stuff like that. Because I'm just like, I don't know how you do it, yo. That's I'm like, he's not poor. I don't think TV people or movie people know how poverty works. No, they don't. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, this is some fake world where poor people still have like TVs and nice houses, I guess. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. Man, if that was me dedicating my whole life to you know superheroing in my community i'd be surviving on top ramen <laughs> that would be my meal like every single time yeah like i wouldn't have to work man if i didn't have to work and i could still live let's believe i'd be writing fan fiction all day i wouldn't have the job <laughs> oh my god wouldn't that be the life though wouldn't that be the dream i would love oh it. oh my god <sighs> now i'm making myself jealous jealous of fictional character <laughs> Okay, so here's the other thing that I'm kind of curious about. I did watch enough episodes to know kind of like the basic backstory of Matt and Foggy. Like, I know they went to school together to get their law degrees and they go into business together because they're, you know, attorneys together and all that. But past all of that stuff, I'm always curious to know who are these characters to each other? And for someone like me who just kind of has a really basic idea of who they are, how would you describe them? To someone like me and and who are they to each other honestly i describe them i don't know if this is cliche but sherlock holmes to john watson Ooh, i never heard that before yeah like they're all like not necessarily personality but it's like they're always partners they're always together they're always in each other's lives even when like other stuff happens obviously because conflict happens but it's like they're each other's person kind of like james potter and sirius black and harry potter I saw this meme on Tumblr where it was like, they were set, don't separate them. And I'm like, yep, that pretty much describes them. <laughs> so where you have one, you have the other. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know if like, like, I, I guess I have that kind of person, but I understand like, you know, having a dynamic with that with someone else, someone who's like, you're always talking about them. You're always talking to them. You can't really imagine life without them. Um, they're basically family. Did they know each other prior to going to college together? Or is that no, what they meant? No, they did not. They, but it's funny. They actually both grew up in Hell's Kitchen, but they didn't know each other until they got to college. And, well, this is off topic, but the timeline's really messed up in the show. <laughs> and I'm like, I have a lot to say, and that's, like, way off topic. Like, okay, well, I'm going to say it anyway, because they act like they meet when they're in law school. But law school is only three years. And I'm pretty sure Foggy's, like, he and Matt have known each other for, like, 20 years or so. And I'm like... You just met in law school. It's only three years or two years or whatever. They had to be an undergrad. And also, they're showing rooming. So I'm like, you don't room when you're in law school. So they have been friends since college. They act, the show acts like they've known each other for like 10 years. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. 
like unless they're supposed to be like super old. How can you know someone? Or maybe it was ten years. I, I guess I could be because Matt's supposed to be like in his thirties. I so I guess I could be accurate. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you did your undergrad and then you like pissed around for a little while after undergrad and then went to law school after that when you were a little older, I guess. That doesn't go in character with Matt though because he apparently graduated summa cum laude and they act like he's like super nerdy. So I'm just like, the timeline's just fucked up, but it's okay. I only complain about it once a blue moon. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, it doesn't stop me from putting these characters through hell, so who cares? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Okay, well, that kind of helps me understand uh, Matt and Foggy a little bit because um, I've read Matt and Foggy uh, fan fiction for years now, you know, Mm -hmm. just kind of absorbing through osmosis, through the fan fictions and stuff, but not truly understanding like quite what's going on in the background per canon with these two characters. So, well, I mean, you know, it also depends on how you are because, like, listen to the show, I've no subtext, and some people, like, a lot of people shift the characters. So, like, Obviously, there are different interpretations of the characters as well. And you'll see that a lot in fan fiction, which is also very interesting about fan fiction. People have different interpretations of characters. And seeing that played out was really interesting. That is actually one of my favorite things, my favorite phenomenons about fan fiction is seeing the different iterations of the same character. Because you would think, if you didn't know much about fan fiction, that you would go in there and you would basically see the same character, and you do not. And it is beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful the different ways that different people see the same character and interpret it a completely different way. And it works. And it's gorgeous. Yeah, it's really, it's so fascinating. So tell me about your fic called Stay. I had such a great time reading this fic. It was so, so good. I want to know what inspired this story and what themes do you think you were exploring here with this fic? Well, you said you haven't seen Daryl, but I guess you don't mind spoilers. (laughs) I do not, please. Yeah, okay. So there's an episode, well, throughout the series, I don't know if you saw that, like pretty much nobody knows Matt's secret identity. He hasn't really told anyone about it or like the superpowers that he has. But Foggy's under the impression that they've, like, known each other for years and they know each- everything about each other. So there's an episode, I think it's, like, episode, it's a later episode for season one, but it's called Nelson vs. Murdoch, and Foggy ends up finding out that Matt's, like, Daredevil, and uh, it does not go well. <laughs> it does not go well for either of them. It actually goes really badly. It really breaks up their friendship for, like, a few episodes. And even in season two, there's still, like, a lot of tension there. It's interesting because, like, Foggy's also like, well, Matt, you studied law. Why are you breaking the law? <laughs> Why are you, like, and he's also pointing out, like, not only can you get disbarred, but you can get me in trouble because I could be seen as an accomplice. You can get yourself killed, all this other stuff. Why are you so violent? So, like, there are all these questions coming. And because Matt is an angsty boy, he's very, he's very guilty about this. And he's like, he feels like shit. He feels terrible. So, like, that, like I said, that episode happened. It breaks their friendship and eventually gets back together. And I understand, like, if you find out your friend was a superhero, and also that they apparently can hear your heartbeat, I would be a little freaked out. I'd be like, wait, you could do this all this time? You didn't tell me? So I understand that. But what really bothered me in the episode is, like, the way it's framed is that, like, I get that Foggy's upset, but, like, he says some, like, pretty terrible things to Matt. Oh, like really cutting things. Yeah, like, he hears about his senses, and he's like, I actually felt sorry for you, implying that he felt bad that, like, Matt was blind, and I'm like, well, he is blind. Also, that's really grossly ableist. And the show never addresses it after that. Oh, geez. Yeah. And then also what makes me mad is that, like, Matt tells him about how he first became Daredevil. Um, and he, he heard about a, a little girl who was, like, being molested by her father, it was implied. And he, like, he beat the guy up. And the father was like, you just want an excuse to beat people up. I'm like, he literally saved somebody's life. Right. A child. Yeah. 
a child's life. How do you see this excuse to beat people up? And then also, like, while this is happening, because Max is ass kicked a lot. When Foggy's, like, yelling him about all this stuff, Matt's, like, almost dead at this point. So I'm like, he's not in a position to defend himself. Like, and you're throwing all these accusations at him, and I get you're mad, but, like, just maybe wait until he's not, like, bleeding to death to, like, start interrogating him. I don't know. Like, he's not in a position to defend himself at all, and that, like, really pissed me off because, like, it never really gets resolved. Like, they, they sort of get their friendship back, but there's a lot of tension underlying there, and Matt's still, like, I guess, basically, like, when Foggy's still, like, oh, you're gonna get yourself killed, you're putting everyone in danger, blah, 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 Matt's just kind of, like, I have to do this, but, like, he doesn't really defend himself because I think he feels really bad about the whole lying thing, and Matt's got this whole thing about thinking he has the devil in him. He, he really needs to go to therapy. But, like I said, I was just mad that Foggy was, like, throwing all these accusations at Matt when he couldn't really defend himself, and I'm, like, and then what makes me really mad is at the end he, like, leaves Matt. And I'm like, Matt's still pretty badly injured. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yes. And then also, if you, like, go back to, like, you see Michelle, like, Matt's dad was killed when he was, like, nine. And he didn't, he didn't grow up with his mom. His mom left when he was young, which is the whole thing. Uh, and he grew up, like, in an orphanage. And then he had this mentor who's an asshole, but his name was, his name is Dick. But he was kind of, like, a father figure to him. And then he left. So Matt has, like, a shit ton of abandonment issues. So I'm like, you just walk out on this guy who's already had abandonment issues. Like, I'm sure he knew he was an orphan. Like, I don't know. I just, I'm like, and that just proves the math that everybody leaves him. And I'm like, that's really sad. No wonder he keeps pushing people away because when his best friend finds out what he does, he literally fucking leaves. Oh my God. So the emotional devastation of this episode, like, oh my God. Yes. I was like, don't do that. So like, I still, when I read this picture, I still had Foggy be mad, but I was like, he's not going to leave Matt because if he leaves Matt, then Matt's just going to get the idea that everybody leaves him. And he's going to keep withholding and drawing to himself, which causes issues. But, like, you're just reinforcing the idea that everybody leaves. So I'm like, that's why I call it stay. I'm like, you don't need to leave. You can still be mad at him, but you need to still stay in his life. Like, maybe take a minute to cool down a little bit, you know? That's, that's perfectly fine. But don't just leave him, because then he feels like he has nobody. And he's going to keep pushing people away. This it came out of the fact that the episode pissed me off because they don't really address anything <laughs> that happens in it afterwards. And I'm like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to write something about it. And also, like, God, I feel so bad for Matt in that episode. Like, I feel like him. And, like, you know how some people, like, they just, like, they have, like, puppy dog eyes? Yes! Like, he has, he has those puppy dog eyes and he starts crying and it's like, you feel it in your soul and you're like, oh my God, this hurts so bad! It's like they're just reaching through the screen being like, please save me. I know! And, and also when Foggy's leaves, Matt's, like, asking for his name and, oh my God. I don't rewatch that episode. It makes me sad. Okay, so this was absolutely inspired by that one episode where you had the feels and they just had to come out, right? (laughs) It was a fix it, essentially. (laughs) Yes, that's what I loved about it. I loved that you still let Foggy have his feelings. That's fine. People are allowed to have feelings about things, right? So you let him have his feelings, but you also had him deal with those in a healthier way than he actually did in canon, which was brilliant. because... They don't do this in the show, and it drives me crazy. Like, season two has, is, a, is a mess for a lot of issues. But one of the things that you can see is that they haven't resolved their issues at all. Like, they pretty much don't talk about the Daredevil thing because they disagree on it. And I'm like, that's not really good because Daredevil's a part of Matt. You can't just, like, really ignore it. And, of course, Matt doesn't want to talk about it because he's afraid Foggy's going to get upset again. They don't fucking communicate. They need to go to, like, therapy or something together. But they don't communicate. And I was like, you're going to communicate because communication miscommunication is like one of the biggest reasons conflict happens and i understand that's realistic but i'm like we need to learn to communicate because y'all both care about each other you messed up but you all both care about each other so we need to talk 
basically being their therapist, I guess. See, and speaking of therapy, I have so many questions here. So many questions. So chapter one, love this chapter. Grabs you right away. It's so, so good. It reminds me of something that you said a couple minutes ago when you were saying that um, in the show, Matt is so, uh, he's so messed up. You know, he's like practically dying, right? And that's the moment that Foggy chooses to confront him, right? About all of this shit. You're a daredevil and you can hear my heartbeat. Like, what the fuck? And it struck me a little bit because the first one, being daredevil, okay, be mad about that. That's fine. Like, Matt did not tell you about that. And I can understand to an extent how um, that might upset you a little bit, Foggy. That's fine. But the second one, I had a hard time with that one because that is not Matt's fault. It is not his fault that he's blind. It is not his fault that he has enhanced hearing because he is blind. Like, how is it? Like, how do you justify being mad at somebody for that? Like, I don't. I was sitting there going, Foggy, like, I could spank you for this, son. Like, what? What? Yeah, I, like, I get being uncomfortable because someone reads your heartbeat. But if he can't, like, really control it, it's like, he cannot. why are you mad? Yes. Like, yes, like that he, was my thought. Like he could get mad if, like, you can read his facial expressions because he can't see. You know, like, oh, well, you can read me really well because you can see my face. Like, that's kind of the equivalent of what he's saying. Exactly. And it's not like he can turn it off. Yeah. In all fairness, like, I'm not justifying his anger at all, but I get it, too, because, like, they just had one of their clients. They found out one of their clients was killed the night before, and he's, like, super drunk. So I get that he's not in a great place, but I'm still like, come on, bro. But see, you know, Mark, Matt's like, he's going to take it because he's he likes to self-flagellate a lot. So he's like, I'm going to take it. <laughs> I deserve it. And I'm like, stop it, man. Yeah, he just kind of takes it. I was like, oh, my God. Like, I feel like I'm being stabbed through the heart, but in a good way. Always in a good way. Okay, so I go to, on to chapter two, right? And first of all, I have to tell you that that dreaded Pirate Roberts line, so funny. Okay. So, so funny. Okay, I don't know if you've seen his suit in the first season, but the first thing I thought was Wesley from Princess Bride. He has something like over his head or over his eyes or yeah, something. Yeah, and he's wearing black. And the thing is, I, I love Princess Bride, so I'm proud of myself for slipping in like a little reference to it. And also, I'm guessing that Foggy seems like the type of person who would watch Princess Bride. So. Yes. Oh, he's so, yes, absolutely. He totally is. So that line, like, it, that made me laugh so much. I wanted to make sure to tell you that because it was so funny. It made me laugh, so I'd like to hear that. <laughs> but like, I, I was so fascinated in chapter two by Foggy's train of thought because he is thinking about, oh my God, like, man, I can hear my heartbeat. I didn't know that before. Oh my God. And he's talking about how like, what does this mean? I guess he's trying to like analyze it and think about what it means. And so he's going through this like triggered train of thought where it's like, well, what if our whole relationship is a lie? Everything between us is a lie. What if Matt never actually liked me? What if we were never friends? What if he never cared about me at all? Like, what if, what if, what if? And he just goes through this whole thing. And it made me wonder, here's my question for you, because you know Foggy a lot better than I do. Why do you think Foggy would be triggered that way by that bit of information? Because he sounds so insecure in this moment. I was wondering why. So, okay, I honestly, I have a hard time understanding the way they wrote Foggy's character. Because like I mentioned, he, he said some ableism and problematic stuff and the show just kind of brushes over it. So in my head, I was trying to understand why he was so mad at this information that Matt found out about him. I understand him being like, because he said this later in the episode. I may not have had a mistake, but he said in the episodes like, you know, by you doing this, you're implicating me because people might think I know who Daredevil is and I'm going to get in legal trouble and can't get. So that's like justified to me, like him being mad about that. But like, I guess the whole thing about him being like, because I'm pretty sure he asked if the relationship was like real, him thinking that Matt's like not his friend. 
I, I was like, that must be why he's upset because I couldn't understand for life of me why he'd be so upset otherwise for the whole you're putting us in risk thing. I couldn't figure out why else Foggy would be so upset. And I was like, okay, well, lots of people get upset because of something that's really deeply personal and insecure. And I was like, well, maybe he thinks that Matt's like lying about their friendships. Maybe that's why he's upset. But I, I basically was trying to justify it because I didn't quite understand where all the anger was coming from. Because I don't think it could be just from lying. Like, okay, yeah, lying's not great, but like, I understand why Matt lied about what he did. He could like get into actual legal trouble. Yeah, so I, I was basically just trying to justify why he was doing it. And kind of in the show, Foggy's character, like, he, he eventually kind of gets more confidence, but it's like when he starts off, he basically is like, he doesn't really know how to do this law thing without Matt, and he kind of like relies on that. So I'm like, I think he probably has some insecurity issues about like who he is as a person. So I think it would be realistic jump to say that he had insecurity that like maybe Matt didn't actually like him as a person. Okay, yeah, that's kind of the feeling I was getting too when I was observing his train of thought. And I was like, dude, like I can see some insecurities here or something. I think I wrote trust issues in my notes here. I was like, oh, yeah, for sure. I I definitely think after you found that out, he had some major trust issues. Yeah, trust issues that at the root, at the root of all those trust issues seems to be some personal insecurities that he's dealing with or something because he's putting a lot of meaning on what Matt did. And it's not necessarily like true or correct meaning, but it's the way he's observing it and the way that he's seeing it from his point of view at this moment in time, which was very interesting. <laughs> yeah. And like, like I said, one thing I don't quite understand how they wrote Froggy's character in the show. So I was trying to make sense of it. So again, the whole interpretation thing, I was like, how does this make sense to me? Okay, this makes sense based on X, Y, and Z. And that's kind of how I wrote the story. Yeah. No, I thought that that was such a realistic trait of thought that you put him down. Because uh, I think it's, it's totally valid, right? I also thought it was really interesting as I was reading this uh, this chapter too, because I was thinking, okay, like Foggy obviously has some trust issues here. But then I thought, but so does Matt. They both have these really interesting trust issues. And it just made me think, wow, two characters with different aspect of trust issues, learning how to move forward with that. How interesting. That's interesting you brought it up because I mentioned this before in the show, why I wish you would address it. I do think they do have some major trust issues and I've seen it written in fan fiction but not so much in the show and I wish they had touched on it because I'm like like I said a lot of conflict comes from miscommunication and I think miscommunication is coming because of trust issues like if Foggy doesn't trust Matt's really his friend then yeah he's gonna like be wary on edge being like okay does he really mean this or is he lying and if Matt thinks oh everybody leaves me then he's gonna not open up to people because he thinks he's gonna be too much so they need therapy but um I didn't have time to write that in the fic so no, but but you did take them down a path of communication. And I love that communication here is kind of like this theme that's going on in your fic because you kind of let them fall apart first emotionally and then take them to this place of like resolution and communication, which I loved so much. But of course, we don't get there yet, right? Because then chapter three comes along. <laughs> and oh my God, this one, oh, this made my heart hurt in the best way possible because this is where you really kind of see like Matt's internal struggles here because he's also going through this crazy train of thought of Foggy, he's going to leave. Like, oh, he, he thinks our friendship is all a lie and I'm not good enough and look what I did to our friendship and it's all my fault. And he just takes all of that and he's internalizing it and putting it on himself. He's so damn hard on himself. Oh my God. He, he's like that in this show, trust me. I told you, he literally thinks he has, like, I know he's Catholic, but he actually thinks that he has a devil in him. He actually says that at one point. And I am like, you 
need therapy. Please get therapy. Please, please, please get therapy. (laughs) Yeah. But how heavy would that be? Right. If you believe that about yourself. Yeah. Well, this is also another spoiler from the show. Apparently his grandmother, he tells his priestess, says that the Murdoch boys have the devil in them talking about him and his dad. And I'm like, if somebody tells you that when you're a child, if a relative tells you that, I would imagine you internalize that. That's like gotta be traumatic thing to hear as a kid. Yes, because those are your formative years when you're trying to figure out who you are. And then somebody comes along and tells you that? Yeah, I'm like, I I don't know who Matt's grandmother was, but I wanna fight her. I'll bring her back from the dead and fight her for saying that. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. And you gotta wonder, like, did she even know as she said it how pivotal that was gonna be for his sense of self identity? that he was going to carry that. And maybe not kid, but I assumed he was young. I'm like, why would you tell anybody that? That's like a, that's such a horrible thing to say to somebody. His life is traumatic, but like, yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think I put a note in here too, as I was kind of looking at the heartbreaking train of thought that Matt's going down here. And I was thinking that this must be especially hard for Matt to be dealing with right now because he perceives Foggy as the person who knows him the very best at this point in his life. This is his best friend the person who knows him the best. If you think that the person who knows you the best is set to abandon you, what does that say about you? And that's another thing too, where I go back, like I, like I said, I think I understand why Matt didn't tell Foggy, but I think I also went back to see my head interpreting, why would he not tell him this? Like I, I get a lot of reasons why he wouldn't. And I'm thinking a lot of it, I think really does come down to fear. Like you seem like in the show, Matt literally like pushes his friends away. So like in season three, he basically goes through a repressive episode and he lets his friends think they're he's dead because he thinks they're better off without him. So like this man has a lot of issues with like abandonment and being abandoned. And I think that's why he's so like like awkward reserved. But I think that's why he's so reserved and like keeps things close to his chest is because he's been hurt before and he's basically using it as a poor defense mechanism to avoid or try to avoid getting hurt. Yes, I got this feeling that he was viewing his relationships, especially the one with Foggy, as this very fragile thing. Yeah, yeah. And so anything that could shatter the illusion, he's afraid of because it's so fragile in his mind. I remember reading this and thinking, gee, I wonder why he wouldn't tell. You know, that's kind of a big thing not to tell somebody. But yeah, if you think that that's the thing that's going to shatter this fragile relationship that is so important to you and means so much to you, of course you would do anything to protect that, as long as you could. Oh, I want to give Matt a big hug. I know I put him through a lot, but I want to hug him. (laughs) (laughs) He needs it. He needs it so, so bad, for sure. Okay, okay, there's this part in here that I want to talk about. I want to see what your thoughts are on this, okay? Because there's this part that you put in here um, where Matt is thinking about, why am I even surprised that this is happening at this point? Because I know that I've ruined everything that I touch. I'm just this big walking disaster. I've got all this violence in me and the devil's in me. And he's talking about how, gosh, it was kind of selfish of me to think that I could have the firm and Foggy's friendship and be the daredevil all at the same time. And I could have all of these things intertwined but I'm the only one who would know, you know, and no one else would know. And so he's thinking about how, wow, that was really foolish of me to think that I could be all of those things at once and have it work, right? And I wanted to tell you that I felt this part so deep in my bones because I felt like this 
relates to this phenomenon that I think so many of us feel. Tell me if this makes sense to you. But sometimes I feel like we as human beings have parts of ourselves, identities maybe, if you will, that you feel aren't compatible with each other or they seem at odds with each other. So we do this thing where we, I don't know, internally separate these different parts of ourselves, right? And we sort of like live this, I don't know, fractured life, whether that's internally or whether that's in the way we actually live our lives and present ourselves out into the world. But it's this fractured way of being, I guess. And it made me wonder, like, wow, I feel like this is so poignant what Matt is trying to say here. Like, can you even be a whole, healthy, authentic human being? While keeping separate parts of yourself fractured like that, can we really be true to ourselves that way? Or is that fractured form of being self-betrayal in the end? And is this what Matt is finding out? That's really interesting that you said that, because that's one thing I do see happening in also in season two, is that he basically tries, because he knows Foggy hates Daredevil and Karen doesn't know at this point, he basically tries to keep those two lives separate, and it, it basically falls on his face. And I thought about what you're saying, like, Matt's a great example of having contradictory which is another reason I love they wrote him. Because look, he's Catholic, but he dresses as a devil. Like that's, yes. that's about as obvious as you can get. Not only that, but he's a lawyer. His job is to understand the law, but he's also a vigilante who breaks the law. So like Matt is very contradictory. He even says at one point, but he's like contradictory. So I, I think that's like, obviously Matt's an extreme example, but I definitely do agree. I think we have a lot of parts of ourselves. Like there are parts of me where it's like, these things seem to contradict one another and I don't really understand how I have these two parts in me like that are so different and I think I think that makes it really hard to accept but like like if you don't accept it I, I really do think and this is not the same but when I went back about how I kind of abandoned fan fiction because I thought it was like childish or whatever I felt like I was fracturing myself in that regard because I wasn't admitting that there was something I was really passionate about and it hurt me like I, I could feel like there's this thing missing in me and I, I think a lot of us have that kind of experience where it's like we think there's a part of ourselves that either are too contradictory or bad and nobody's going to accept it. So we try to hide it. But we, you can't truly hide a part of yourself. Like it's going to come out one way or another. And when you have that disconnect, like everything's just kind of discordant in your life. Yes. I felt like that's kind of what was being explored here in this little paragraph, this little piece of chapter three. And it just, when I saw it, I read it probably like four times. And then I was like, oh, oh my God, I've seen this before. I have felt this before. Like, you know, I feel like so many of us have, you know, not to this extreme example, you know, most of us aren't vigilante, like, you know, superheroes and stuff, but we have our own version of this, right? Where there's these different fractured parts of ourselves. And when we find Finally, are able to be whole and honest and let those parts be, even if they feel contradictory or that you, we feel like they don't fit or don't make sense. Maybe that's where the real magic happens. And maybe that's what Matt is slowly learning here, that it doesn't work trying to keep all of those things separate and fractured. I don't know. Okay, this is so interesting. And I know I wrote the story, but I'm like, hey, I didn't notice that. I know I'm the writer of it. But this is why I love it when people read like the same thing. Because it's like, you came to that interpretation. I didn't even think about it until you brought it up. And I'm like, stories, you know, again, going back to the whole having layers thing. So that's, it's very interesting. I just feel weird saying like, oh, I didn't know that about my fan fiction. But that's happened a lot of times where people have told me I touched on themes I wasn't even consciously aware that I touched on. I'm like, I'm glad you picked that up. 
I didn't know I did that. So thank you for pointing yeah, it out. But that's the magic of like literature, right? That's the magic of words and stories, right? Because they're transformative as you're writing them, right? As the writer and everything, that's a transformative experience for you. But then me coming in, I'm reading it and I have my own life experiences and things like that. So as I'm reading, that's another transformative experience that, that this story goes through because now it's coming through my lens, right? The whole magic of how these stories are transformed again and again and again every time somebody new picks it up and reads it. To me, that's like one of the most magical things that exists in the world. I could go on and on and on about it. I could. I say it is very amazing and like it. <laughs> it is. It is. I love it. I absolutely love it. But obviously, we know Matt has these trust issues. He's got the abandonment issues and they're so, so heartbreaking and so, so sad. But I loved how these were all kind of resolved in chapter four. I loved how you had Foggy talk on the phone with the nurse. And I can't remember her name now. Um, Claire. Claire. That's right. I love Claire. <laughs> Yeah, she was just kind of really straight up with Foggy on the phone and was like, you know what? The way you're seeing this whole thing is messed up and you need to think about that. And that's really what Foggy needed, I think, because he can still be mad and he can still have his feelings. But, you know, I think that kind of gave him that push to consider things from Matt's point of view just enough to where he was like, you know what? I'm going to handle this in a way that doesn't end in me abandoning my friend. That's not going to happen today. It's like that in the show. I love her. She's very straight up. I'm like, Matt's not going to defend himself. Foggy's like pretty hot-headed, so they need someone to cool him in between. So I'm glad that worked. Yeah, it's almost like Foggy needed that third party to just kind of vent to so he could say all of the really messed up stuff to her, you know? <laughs> and then have her be like, that's messed up, Foggy. Like, don't say that. But it was just really beautiful how they were able to have those really vulnerable moments together in that final chapter where they were able to communicate, like you've been saying all this time, that that communication was the magic, man. That was like the money shot here where they're just able to like communicate down to a level where they're able to reassure each other. Foggy is able to reassure Matt that he's not going anywhere. He's not leaving. And Matt was able to reassure Foggy that, yeah, our friendship was real. Yes, it was authentic and nothing about it was unreal. Like they were able to communicate how much they mean to each other here. And I just thought that was really beautiful. I love the way that this ended. It was so, so good. Oh, dang it. You're making me blush. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, if I can make someone who's not even in like know the fandom as much feel that like I feel pretty good about myself as a writer you should you should because like yeah obviously like obviously I love the angst and the hurt comfort like that was a treat always but then to have it resolved and I love that you know this type of resolution is really my favorite because it's more of a beginning than an end it's not that Foggy's feelings of anger and betrayal completely go away by the end of the story. It's not that he's not upset anymore. He even says, I think, you know, I'm going to be mad about this for a while, but I can be mad and still love you and I can be mad and I can still be here. And so I felt like this resolution was really more of a beginning, more communication and more being open and vulnerable with each other so that, uh, you know, so they can kind of address some of those deep-seated issues that they both seem to have. So it's really cool. part of it, too, is that they have so many issues. Like, it could not be resolved in just that one story. Like, this would take weeks or this would take a really long time to resolve. Um, but like you said, <laughs> yes. I, I, definitely, I definitely want them to, ha to at least start talking. I think they need to understand that, like, we care about each other. Because that, that's very essential is that you can have conversations with people if you know they're going to respect you and they love you. And, like, they need to know that. They need to hear that. I think they can start moving forward more in a more healthy way. There's going to be bumps around the road, 
So I think they can start moving forward more healthily once they know, okay, this person does care about me. My friendship wasn't fake with them and they're not going to leave me. That's like really essential, I think. Especially like just going from like Matt's perspective is like, he's not going to open up if he thinks someone's just going to leave. So if he knows someone's not going to leave, then like that already takes away like some of those issues with him being very closed off. Yes, I feel like this kind of like um, them starting down the path of open communication is kind of uh, it's building that foundation of trust for them. You know, it's this emotional intimacy thing that people talk about a lot where you kind of have to have emotional intimacy to build the trust. Right. Once the trust is there and once the emotional intimacy is there, you can be honest and vulnerable in a way that you couldn't be before. And you actually build more trust off of that because the other person's proving that they're not going to leave even when they're mad and even when stuff is tough. And once you have that understanding and that belief that uh, the other person's not going anywhere, that's when the magic happens, baby. That's when the magic happens. And I love, love, love it. So now this was a treat to read from start to finish. I think I said the name of the fic when we first started, but in case I didn't, it's called Stay. And it is in the Daredevil fandom. And I will, of course, post the link so people can find this because it is absolutely wonderful. I wanted to know, in your experience of writing this, which line or scene from this fic meant the most to you and why? Man, that is a great question. I'm seeing all of it being connected. So I'm like having a hard time separating it. I think for me, this is so bad. This has been watching I read the story. I'm like, which chapter was it in? Journey four? No, I think it was in chapter four where Matt's basically telling Foggy that like he didn't want him to see the side of him because he thought he was going to leave and like, like, he talks about how his grandma said he was the devil on him and about how he's basically, like, this bad person. I thought that was really important to get out because I think that's the core of, like I said, the communication issues. Like, that's kind of the core side of Matt's communication issues. And that's also a core to so many of Matt's issues, I think, is that he thinks there's this darkness in him that's, like, made him tainted and, like, can taint people around him. I think that's so essential to Matt's character. And I think that's why he struggles so much with so many different things. And I thought it was really important for me to communicate that because he's not going to be able to move on or have any sort of kind of healthy relationship if he just keeps thinking, I'm a bad person, I'm a bad person, I'm a bad person, I'm going to like infect everyone around me. I thought that was really important for me to get across in a way that was authentic, but also like, you know, well, I guess just authentic, yeah. Do you think that that was the first time he ever said it out loud like that before to anybody? In my fan fiction world, definitely, I would say. Well, let me take that back, actually. Uh, that was the first time he said it to, like, a friend, but he definitely has said to his priest before. He, I mean, he tells his priest that God put the devil in him, so he's basically telling his priest, God put something evil in me. So that's kind of the first time he actually said it. But I think this is maybe the first time he's being vulnerable with somebody who, like, obviously, like, he's friendly with his priest, but his priest is not his friend. He's, like, a mentor guy. I think this is the first time Matt said it with somebody on a friendship level that's this close mental intimacy that you mentioned earlier. I think this is the first time he's ever said that out loud with somebody who's close to him, like like a parent. Like I said, he and Foggy are basically family. So I think this is the first time he's basically said it out loud to family. And I think that is very important, pivotal. Like his walls have broken down that moment because he's just so broken down at this point. Like he kind of doesn't care. He's like, well, he's going to leave anyway, so it doesn't matter what I say. How significant is that, that he's able to say that out loud? to one of the people he cares about the most in the entire world. Yeah, and I'm like, too, because obviously that was like, I'm like, that's harder. I can't imagine being able to do that if I thought those kind of things. And hell, some things I think about that aren't that deep, like, it's hard to, to, to communicate that to people. Sometimes about how I'm feeling, about 
Because, like, we all have dark, dark thoughts, and I've been down some, like, dark paths about myself, and it's, like, that's really hard to communicate. But it's so important to communicate because people want to help you, but they can't help you if you don't know what's going on. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes you got to really communicate stuff like that if you want to be seen. But yeah, yeah, because, you know, Foggy would never have been able to guess all of that if Matt hadn't been able to say it out loud. I'm proud of Matt. <laughs> I know. Okay, so probably most of the people that listen to the show have written fan fiction before, probably. But I feel like there's always new people coming in onto the scene or people who are thinking about writing their very first fan fiction or what have you. I was wondering, um, since you have, you know, this background with writing and you do a lot of writing in, in different aspects of your life, what advice would you give to someone who's planning to write a fan fiction for the very first time but has never done it before? I'm going to steal from Nike and say, just do it. Like, that sounds that sounds really easy, but, like, you have to. I spend so much time in my head, like, so much time in my head. Even now, I still have to break out of it where I'm like, I don't know if this is good enough, blah, 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 and I don't write it down. But it's like, at some point, you just have to shit up that inner critic, and you just have to write stuff down. And it doesn't have to be perfect. I mean, like, a lot of stuff I write down is not perfect, even when I edit it. But, like, just put it down. Like, express your thoughts. It doesn't have to be published immediately. It doesn't even have to be published at all. Just, like, write. Write for yourself, you know? Or write for somebody else. Just don't worry so much about, like, the rights or wrongs. They're just going to be good or bad. Just write. You can obviously go back and, like, edit later and get advice. But, like, I think taking the first step is to just write. Like, I said I had that feeling where I'm going to explode if I don't get a story out. So, like, just get the story out. And, like, that's a, that's a really big thing on its own. And you, you can polish it later or whatever. This is kind of a gross analogy, but I always thought about first drafts as being like you vomit on the page and then you go and you sweep it up. And like I said, it's really graphic, but that's like really accurate for me when it comes to first drafts. Another thing I would say too is everybody says this and it's true that like every writer is a reader. I have gotten so many great ideas and insights from reading amazing fan fiction out there. So I would say if you haven't already, definitely read fan fiction because there's, there's some really great content out there. And even if it doesn't give you a story idea, you know, it's, it's just... Storytelling, like we were saying, is so powerful. It's just really important to be open to kind of what's out there. So just write and read, essentially. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you also for reminding us that a lot of times, most of the time probably, the first draft is going to be crap. I've always appreciated writers who say that because I think people who haven't written before or are not as experienced with writing sometimes don't realize that the first draft is probably going to not be that great. I don't know. So then they see that first draft that they produced and they're automatically thinking to themselves, oh, I'm terrible. I'm never going to be able to do this. But I've always appreciated that other writers are like, no, it happens to me too, man. My first draft is always crap. If someone has an amazing first draft, I, yeah. I'd be like, what is your magic? Are you doing like, I, I, I don't know anyone, including myself, who can do that. <laughs> Yes, exactly. And I just think that that's so helpful for a lot of people, the honesty of being like, yeah, everybody's first job is crap. That's okay. It's supposed to be. And to just like, like you said, get that self-critic out of the way. That's it's not helpful. It's not helping anybody. So just uh, just do it. I love that advice. That's beautiful. Now, before we get out of here for the day, do you have any other fan fiction writers that you'd like to shout out on the podcast? Oh, gosh, I have so many. I'm just going to list the first ones that come off my head. I mentioned Setter's Paradise a lot, but she's a really good friend of mine, and she writes amazing fan fiction. She writes a lot of beautiful angst and hurt comfort that really <laughs> hit you in the gut. I would definitely check out her work. 
Hope is like you've interviewed on the episode, but it's a story about uh, Peter Parker and Matt kind of like becoming a family. It's really good fic. If you don't read one of her fics, definitely read that one. It's amazing. Yes. Yes. And there's also this writer named Wordsmith Renegade who they, they write some really good fan fiction too. They've written some Matt Wump. Like they have one where Matt gets hit by a car and this sounds terrible, but I loved it so much. <laughs> and, uh, no shame here. No shame. Yeah. Um, there's this, I don't know if you saw, but there's a scene in No Way Home where like Matt catches this brick that was like aimed at Peter. And, and he's like, I'm a really good lawyer. And Peter's like, how did you do that? So Wordsmith Renegade wrote a little fic for Foggy's like, really, Matt? You said that? And it's so funny. It's so great. Um, <laughs> I can't remember the name of the fic, but I know the author's name is Wordsmith Renegade. And this other author, uh, last one I'm thinking now, is, her name is 94 Bottles of Snapple. They really like a lot of Matt Foggy fiction. Which, like I said, like I know not everybody's into that, but like if you're into that, they, like, they're one of those writers where I feel like they can write anything and it comes out great. Like, it's really hard to find a person, but it's like everything they write is just great. And they have some really cute, like, Matt Foggy fix. They have some really funny fix. Of course, they have a little heart comfort here and there, but all their fix are, like, feel good at the end, which I really like. And then also, I guess, just keep looking because there are a lot of amazing fan fiction writers out there. Yes, there are. It is constantly blowing me away how you can go into any fandom out there and you're going to find some amazing stuff. There are amazing writers everywhere. So, yes. Definitely, like you said, go out there and seek it and find it. And of course, we'll get uh, links to all of the the writers that you mentioned on the show notes so people can check those out. That's awesome. Artemis, thank you so much for coming on today. This has been so much fun talking to you and vibing with you. I really appreciate you. Thank you. I love being on here as well. This was this was great. So glad that you could join us today. Check out her stories on AO3 and give her some love. You can find the Fanfic Maverick online at fanficmaverickpodcast.com, on Tumblr at Fanfic Maverick Podcast, on Instagram and Twitter at Fanfic Maverick, and I can always be reached at fanficmaverick at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, and I will see you next episode. In the meantime, keep on rolling. <laughs> <laughs>